Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm talking with Marlon Moyer-Moore. He's a former linebacker, fullback from the AFL. He uh, played for the Predators for nine seasons. He got his bachelor's degree in sports management and marketing from University of Maryland, where he also was a standout linebacker. He currently works for Orange County Fire Rescue as a, as a fairly new firefighter. Um, you also own your own business where you're coaching and mentoring kids. Uh, yeah. Playing football and exercising yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, we used to do um, – I used to coach up until I had my, my first child. And that kind of took away a lot of that time. Uh, and that's where I met a lot of the kids where <clears throat> we train them in sports specific training, what, whatever position they play, speed and speed improvement, speed improvement, strength, uh, all that types of stuff, agility, everything that they need. So we still do a little bit of it now, but medic school had it really took first place in all of that. So um, I'm just doing like twice a week now, nothing, nothing major. What what's the name of your your gym? So the, the gym we sold last July, but the company was uh, Team Moye Moore. So okay. just my you know team and then my first and last name. So uh, so yeah, from there we had a a ton of kids come out of there. Um, a couple of kids that's in college now. A couple of kids. One uh, actually like my maybe second or third kid I ever trained just got picked up by the Titans. Uh, Nick Westbrook got out of Lake Mary High School. He went to Indiana University. So um, one of the most recent was Tyler Davis down at uh, at uh, Clemson right now. So he plays defensive tackle there. He was on all freshman team last year. So, wow. yeah. yeah but like I said, medical school takes up a lot. So pretty much now it's that uh, 10 to 16 – 16 range, 17. So I don't do much of anything else. Like all the personal training, I don't do any, any, any more because, you know, it's just so much other stuff going on with the fire service. You, you actually went out into the field last year. January 14th, 2019. And, and were you a non-cert? I was a non-cert. Yep. I went through the whole process. Um, it was crazy because, um, I was going to go to Daytona State and pay my way through. I had no idea that the Seminole was right down the street uh, to go through fire school. So my uh, one of my mentors was at a was at the barbershop with another guy who worked for Orange County. He was just talking about his son. And uh, the other guy was like, yeah, hey, man, tell it, tell your son and tell who he's talking about me. 
to go online, you know, fill out an interest form, you know, all that good stuff. So I did it, started going to mentoring, which was probably, man, I played football for like 24 years since I was like 11. And uh, hands down, that first workout was easily the hardest workout I've ever done before. You know, no weights, all body weight. Um, you know, granted, I was, you know, I was actually working out a lot then, so I was fasting. I didn't realize you need some energy to come in there. Played linebacker at University of Maryland, uh, and you said that you started off as a wide receiver there. And <laughs> yeah. Went. yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was an All-American wide receiver coming out of high school. Um, I was, uh, so we had the, the Elite 11 was um, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So they take the best 11 offensive guys, best 11 defensive guys. They give you, you know, this award after you graduate, excuse me, after you graduate. And I was on the, the offensive side of it. <clears throat> I got to Maryland in um, August. By April, I was like 180, 186, 187 when I got there. Man, by April of that next year, I was 247. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. So, like, you know, all my life I played sports all year round. So I never trained before. Oh, so man. until I got to college, I never lifted weight. You know, pretty impressive. You know, not many 40-year-olds start their career in firefighting, um, you know, at such a, such a late, late age. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, I've worked with you. You're extremely fit. One of the hardest workers that I've ever worked with very dedicated i i mean i i paid attention to you a lot when you uh came to my battalion and i w i was extremely impressed by you from from day one and uh, then getting getting to know you and um you know learning a little bit about your background you know getting your bachelor's degree from university of maryland in sports management and marketing i'm guessing you had a, a scholarship there to play yeah. football you started off as a wide receiver and then yeah. ended up transitioning to a linebacker did you go into the AFL right out of college yeah I did I did um my junior year I, I got in a little bit of trouble so um I think that that was one reason that I had to go the AFL route but yeah I was lit at that point I was um I was working for a courier service. Uh, one of the quarterbacks on our team, brother, owned a, a courier service. And uh, so we was, I was delivering, <clears throat> I don't know, all types of packages all throughout the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. And I was, one day I was just pumping gas. And uh, Jay Gruden, the, uh, the, the brother of John Gruden, I think Jay's the, the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars now. He called me up and was like, hey, man, you know, you want to come play football in Florida? And I was like, uh, I don't know. I called my agent. My agent said, you know, it's probably like the only option you have right now. And then that week I got like six more calls from different teams. And um, I just kind of weighed the options. He, uh, he he talked about how, how nice it was here. And I'd only been to Florida once. Um, and we that's when we played in the Orange Bowl. And I loved it here. A bunch of guys from Florida uh, went, went to the University of Maryland. My actual roommate was from Orlando, played at Dr. Phillips. And I was talking to those guys, and he was like, man, it's nice down here. You know, the weather's beautiful. And 
Freaking what? Sixteen years later, here I go. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you grow up at? I grew I grew up in that small um, steel mill town called Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. It's about fifteen miles west of Pittsburgh, um, right on the uh, Allegheny right on the Allegheny River. Um, and my grandfather worked in the steel mill. My grandmother worked in the steel mill. It's about uh, I say it's a population of about three thousand maybe. The high school has like 300 people in it. So, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I grew up there and, uh, you know, my mom and dad, you know, just like a lot of families have their situ situations. And uh, my dad moved to D.C. when I was 11. And so when I was right around 11 or 12, uh, I moved with him and, uh, and, and moved to D.C. And that's how I got to the Maryland area. Um parents got back together when I graduated high school they've been together ever since they've been but they've been married for I don't know 28 years or something like that and so yeah that's how I got to Maryland and got to stay there I love that place you know it's beautiful up there you get all four seasons you know a lot of my friends are still there nice so in addition to working as a firefighter mm -hmm. going, going to paramedic school you're also running a business where you're, you're yeah. coaching kids. Yeah. Um, uh, what's, what's the name of your business? Team Moye Moore. And, yeah. and how, how long have you been operating? I've been in business since 2009. Nice. So my, uh, the arena football league went in the dark for one year. So they, the league actually went bankrupt in 2010. So at that point, I had zero income coming in um, and uh, I had started. Uh, so I collected unemployment for a little bit and I, you know, I'm a worker, so I couldn't just sit around. And uh, literally I was, I was coaching the kids. So I would wake up in the morning, eight or so workout. So about 10, um, you know, take care of my body, get all the stuff I need to get done, take a nap and then wake up at, five o'clock drive to Lake Mary coach a team and one of the kids dad uh, asked me uh can I work with him and so I worked with the kid and he scored two touchdowns next next week had zero to do with me they just gave him the, gave him the ball on a one yard line he ran it in both times and um so his dad's like oh yeah he's been working with this guy Marlon he's been doing this he's been doing that and then everybody's like who who is he so, because I coached the youngest team in the uh, in the Pop Warner, so by the time everybody really got out to the field, we were done and, and gone. And it, so they, they was like, "Yeah, this guy plays arena football, went to University of Maryland, whatever." Uh, what, so I started working with a couple kids, kind of individual. Uh, one of the parents had suggested it was like, "Hey, you ever thought about doing a a camp, and you could." do a speed and agility camp for, you know, a week long during the summer. So parents can come drop the kids off. We do what we do when they go home. And uh, so I did it. And the first one, I think we had like 80 kids there. And so I was like, oh man, I, I wasn't expecting that. So after that, every, all the parents were like, do you do any one-on-one -on -one training? Do you do any group training? And I, I don't, but I, I can. And I was honestly just doing it because it was my team I coached and I wanted to make my team better. And it just, it really expanded from there. 
uh, all word of mouth. I never really did any advertising. Everything was, hey, my my son needs training. And then his, her, whoever's son would go and say, t- tell his friends. And then he'd bring four kids with him. And it just kept snowballing. Then I would start training their little brothers and then their cousins. And it just kept, you know, it kept going and getting bigger and bigger until probably, it was probably like that year that uh, a, a summer before I started in the fire service, I was just getting so tired. Like, you know, I was playing football. I was up at 5 a.m. Uh, I would leave, go get treatment, get my body taken care of, get a massage, go out to practice, go practice. Uh, we'll finish up. We'll practice about 12, uh, come back in, take care of my body again because I wasn't getting any younger. Take a nap for an hour and a half, get to the gym at three for the high, first group of high school kids. The second group of high school kids will come in at four. Then I will have a group of like uh, grade school, middle school kids. They would come in at uh, 5.30. And then from there, if anybody wanted personal training or whatever, uh, I would usually do that from, you know, 6.30 to, I mean, whenever the last person, sometimes nine, whatever. I was just getting so burned out. I mean, I was I was not, my health wasn't great because I wasn't eating properly. Um, I was still working out because I was still running with the kids and stuff like that. Uh, and I would lift with like some of my clients and whatnot. But my body just it was just breaking down. And so I had to slow down a little bit. Uh, so I, I'd stopped training regular, like general people and just strictly athletes. And that, that's, it's so much of a, a hustle to do it. You have to, you have to be ready for the next group of kids that's coming. My sports was mainly lacrosse and football. Lacrosse season was kids would come in and really train a lot from June to uh, January. Football would train a lot from January to to June or to I'm sorry to July, right before camp start. You had to every year consistently keep those guys coming. Uh, so it was you know it was up and down, and it was just, I just got honestly I, I love it. I really truly enjoy it. It would be something I would do for free, not for I actually do sometimes, you know. There's many times I literally driving down the street, um, see a bunch of kids in the park doing stuff. And I would, I keep a, a bag of cones and hurdles and stuff. And I would get out like 20 minutes and just do some stuff with some kids, get back in the car and keep going. Uh, I really, I really, really truly enjoy um, helping kids become better. You know, that kind of stems back from when I was small, Training now with athletes is is completely different than when I was a kid. Training when I was a kid was going out and playing high and go seat or playing tag or it'd be 12 of us on a bike at 13 and we're going different neighborhoods, you know? So like we played all, all day long, you know, we were outside all day long running, jumping and, you know, really, you were really kind of training. You really were, you know, you didn't know, but you were. Um, once I got to high school, I guess it's th- that training kind of started going a different route and getting more into the sports specific. I-, I couldn't afford it. You know, my, my parents couldn't have paid, you know, 50, 60, 70, some, I mean, depending on who you go to, 100 bucks an hour uh, to get me trained twice, twice a week. I had people actually take me to camps take me places um mr smith 
I'll never forget. He was one of the guys who coached me when I was when I was young. Yeah, he was. I needed to actually it was actually a weigh in, and I was always a real skinny kid, but I was like kind of broad, but really had no fat growing up. I needed to lose like two pounds, <laughs> and so for like two weeks, you know, he was he was we was running me, and I was losing the weight, but like he literally like we we trained. We just we just ran routes. We worked on blocking drills. You know, we did our sprints and stuff at the end to the conditioning wise. But he re- literally just trained me and it just did it free. You know, picked me up, took me out there. You know, took me back home if I was hungry afterwards. Fed me. I had so many people in my life at a young age do those things for me that now you know I had just have this affinity to help out young athletes. You know. Uh, and it really, it, it actually, all of that coming together correlates in the fire service too. Yeah, I was, uh, I was going to ask you what led you to pursue a career in the fire service. So, taking it back to 2004 when I got here, 2004 I was playing football, and I dislocated my knee, so I, t- I tore my PCL, LCL, polyceal tendon, and I had like some meniscus issues. Uh, so reconstructive surgery. Doctor said, hey, you know, you plan on playing football again? Yes. <laughs> do, uh, or if you want to work a desk job, he's like, if you want to work a desk job, we'll do this surgery. If you want to go play football, we'll do another surgery and be more aggressive. So I did the, the surgery to play again. He's like, you know, you'll, you probably won't run the same if you can come back at all. And so I was like, all right, whatever. Eight months later, I was playing again. Uh, it wasn't full strength, but just that de- determination and drive. So I met a guy, Steve DeLuca, at that time. And that's how I started coaching the kids. And everything went from there. But I was coaching a kid, uh, C.J. M. Wally. C.J. M. Wally has a dad, Charlie M. Wally. So C.J. Charlie Jr., who's uh, a truck lieutenant at Seminole. At, uh, I think it's at 12. I think that's where he is. He used to always tell me, man, you'll be a great firefighter. You should come. You should come be a firefighter. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. He, and then he, one day he was like, yeah, we'll have you forcing the door. And all I can see is like TV, flames flickering out the door. Uh, I got on just like pants and a T-shirt, shouldering the door down, running in like a hero. No, S, no SCBA, none of that. I, you know, cause I, did, I just didn't know. And I was like, Charlie, you know, like you had me until then. And I was like, no, I'm good. I, that's not what I want to do in my life. So, so um, he was on me all the time, like all the time. This is like I said, this is way back in like 2005. We then, uh, I then met uh, a chief. I think she's a chief at EMS over in Orlando. I actually started training her. She was telling me the same thing. Then I met another guy who's um, a division chief up there in uh Deltona, Tim Martin, uh, yeah, all these people were in my gym too. So we were, we used to talk every day. He was like, man, you'll be a good firefighter, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, whatever. Then I actually did some research on it and was like, man, this is a, this, this is a good deal. You look at all of the, you know, the good stuff, you know, you can go be a hero. You can help people out, you know, good retirement, you know, a bunch of other things that, that, that comes along with the, with the job. Uh, with the career. Like I said, I researched it. 
and started looking into things and started looking at it. And, and what I realized, the medical aspect of it, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that that's what, that's what we did, you know, that's 90% of the job. Like that part, the schooling and still having to, to learn, that, that was the biggest thing that, that drew me to it. Obviously, yeah, you want to be, you know, you want to be a hero and get cats out the trees and all the rest of that, but the stereotypical things. But, um, but yeah, so I was going to go and do it myself and just pay because I, I don't know if you know, I came, came through the non-cert program uh, with Orange County. So I was just going to go my, go pay myself, go to school. Uh, one of my mentors knew somebody in Orange County. And, well, knew they were at the barbershop together. And he was talking about his son going into the fire service. I was telling him, you know, what to do. And he said, hey, I got another uh, uh, guy that I mentor that uh, he was looking into getting into it too. And he gave me a call later after he left the barbershop. It's like, hey, you know. Orange County has this non-cert program where they'll pay for you to go and they'll pay for all your schooling and everything else. And so I signed up, put my interest form in, they start uh, sending me emails about mentoring and all the rest of the stuff. Uh, so I start going to mentoring, did my fire team, fire team, CPAT, killed the CPAT test. I mean, I was in pretty good shape. So um, I think I might have had the fastest time that day. For those that don't know, the CPAT is the candidate physical agility test that, um, you know, fire departments require, a lot of fire departments require candidates for the department to, to have a score, whether they go and take the test at a fire academy or if they do the test for that specific fire department. Um, that score, it's a standardized test where, you know, there's, there's certain, uh, well, there's a certain time that you've got to. 10 minutes, 20 seconds. You got to do it within 10 minutes, 20 seconds. Yeah, why don't, uh, just for those listening, why don't you tell what that CPAT involves? Oh, uh, oh so um, the CPAT has a bunch of fire-related activities. So uh, it's a test. You have 10 minutes and 20 seconds to complete the test. You start off with uh, a 20-second warm-up and then a three-minute workout on the Stairmaster. So I think, it's a, I think it was set to like, like 68 steps a minute or something like that. So you, you're moving. You're moving. And um, you got 75 pounds on you, which represents all of your bunker gear, your bunker boots, your helmet, uh, gloves, your SCBA. While you're on the uh, the stairmaster, you got a 50 pound vest with two 12 and a half pound weights strapped to you. So you got to climb the stairmaster for three minutes. You get off the stairmaster. They take the 12 pound weights off you. So you still now simulating that you have your gear on, just no air pack. Then you got to go and do a hose hose drag which is 30 meters a 30 minute hose drag uh, 30 meter i'm sorry hose drag then you pull the drag uh, hose back into you you go around pick up a, two sets of tools which which is both of our saws our chainsaw and our k-12 saw so you get that you walk that same 30 30 meters come around the barrel after you come back from there you raise a ladder raise it bring it down then you do a forcible entry where, with a sledgehammer where you're, you're simulating that you're, you know, forcing a door open or breaking through a concrete wall or w whatever 
the the task may be at that time. Then you do a, a search, which uh, which you're on your hands and knees, and you go through a maze, and you 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 got to go in one side, come out the other side, but it has a bunch of uh, obstacles within it. Uh, after that, you do a dummy drag, which is another same uh, 30 meters, uh, which is 150 pounds. You drag the dummy, uh, bring it up, bring it back, and then you do a a breach and pull, which simulates you actually uh, checking for extension uh, on a fire uh, through drywall. So you do uh, four rounds of five breaches and four pulls. So, uh, and then once you do that, you finish your test, but it was a beast. It was a, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough test, but the, the physical aspect of the job is what I really like. No matter how in shape you think you are, there's going to be something that's going to kick your butt. Just, you know, to talk about that, uh, just two days ago, we had a fire and it was in a trailer, but the trailer was literally a trailer that they build the house around so when you it looks like a house when you come in but you get in and you're actually in a trailer so you know i'm trying to pull ceiling and i get the drywall and insulation now and now i'm hitting the top and i'm like literally like what is this i'm hitting i didn't know what it was i'm just putting holes in it but i, I couldn't get it down i didn't know what it was and it was it was a metal roof so I mean, I'm in there. I'm taxed. I'm I'm in there working <laughs> to get it. Eventually, we, you know, we got a hole in there and got ven- and got ventilation and got to the fire. Like I said, I was literally just training it that that night before we uh we had the fire, feeling good. And then I go in there and like, man, like <laughs> I need to train harder. Yeah. So that's the that's the C that's the CPAP. Those just test your physical ability. Can you do the job? One of the things that uh, early on when um, when you showed up to Station 81, mm-hmm. you know, we sat in my office and we talked. One of the things that was very apparent to me was your, well, it's seemingly a natural ability to lead. Mm-hmm. The way that you carry yourself. But, you know, I know from my experience that that a person's ability to lead is just a accumulation of their life's experiences and, you know, people that, that mentored them and a combination of a lot of factors. But, you know, if you, if you grow up with different circumstances, you're, it's, it's not going to come as naturally, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. you are, and this is my impression of you, uh, from the very beginning. It's not a lead by here, this is what you need to do. It's a lead by example. Um, mm. I, I never got the impression that you were working or doing certain um, tasks to make an impression on anybody. It was just who you are. Mm. Your, your work ethic is not that common. And I would imagine part of that comes from parents working in the steel mill, the steel mill. Yeah, my grandparents. Your grandparents. Well, yeah. talking with a lot of different people and just my own personal experience in sports, I know how sports being being on a team helps people mm-hmm. develop those leadership skills. And that mindset of what I do matters because the the team 
is, you know, as a whole is more important than me. Sure. And, and that's, that's really, that's my impression of you. And I'm guessing that a lot of that comes from, you know, years being in, in sports, mm-hmm. playing football. I, I was wondering if you could share uh, maybe some of your, your personal mentors and how they help shape who you are. It, you said a couple things you said is absolutely true in my life. And it started literally how the, the growing up, like I didn't really, I didn't grow up until I went and lived with my dad. I don't know if many people saw this movie, but the, the first movie that we sat down and watched was Boys in the Hood. So that's kind of how um, Alipupa was. I mean, it's, it's a still mill town, but it's like, it's, I mean, it's the wild, wild west. I mean, you know, guys just, not, not just, but I mean, they shot a police officer um, right in front of my grandmother's house as the kids getting out of, off the bus, point blank range, just walked up to them. You know, um, I mean, they just had a, a drug, drug ring not too long ago where um, they shut down, like, like arrested like 10 people. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a rough, you got to, you have to be tough to grow up in Alicopa. If you're not, the people that, people are not tough to grow up out of there, you know. Uh, and I had all, it was just me. I'm 10 years older than my brothers and sisters. So I was out there literally playing by myself. And, you know, I, this is no joke. I remember it was, um, I don't know, were they brothers? I know it was two brothers and it was cousins. It was like five of them that lived in the house or the apartments are five apartments down from me. And uh, we used to always go to the basketball court. And I used, to, I was a natural athlete. And there was times where I was like, all right, now I'm going to beat these dudes on the basketball court. But I was like, but when I beat them, I know I got to fight one of them. Like, I know because they, they're just going to be mad because it's just me and I'm on the team with other people. And, uh, and I'm like, I know I got to fight one of them. So I fought a lot growing up. And I'll quote, I fought a ton. Um, and I, and there's a lot of times I had to fight their cousin too because it was, like, it was just me. And it's, like I said, it's a, it's a real close-knit town. But it all started, like I said, when I watched Boys in the Hood, uh, we went, I went to live with my dad and I didn't understand why he wanted me to watch that movie. Like, I liked the movie because I like, you know, I like Ricky and I like the whole story and whatever, but, um, but it was more so about Furious Styles. You know, it was more about teaching your son responsibility. You can still do what you want to do. You can still hang out, but you can't put yourself in certain situations and you have to be responsible for all the things that you do and that's that's really what he was trying to um what he was trying to instill in me uh they had one scene where <laughs> furious had told his son uh you know clean a bathtub and that tub had easily had been clean for like a year it was disgusting um and that's how my dad used to do me cleaning was his way of giving structure i, I would say he did everything everything that he asked me to do he did once and he did it. And then after he finished, he asked me, do you have any questions on how it should be done? And I say, no. And that was it. So if it wasn't done that way, he already gave me the opportunity to ask a question and say, can you help me with the situation? Um, then I was in trouble for it. So uh, he gave me structure. Like that was the, that was the biggest thing. 
structure he gave me from the beginning. The next thing on top of that is he gave me uh, accountability and responsibility. And so what he was saying is everything you do, every action you do, you have to be accountable for that action. The second part to being accountable for that action, you have to be responsible for the consequence that's going to come with that action, whether that consequence be a good consequence or a bad consequence. You have to be able to accept it. And you got to accept both of them the same way. So again, we tied, told you I fought a lot, you know, and that carried over when I got to, to DC uh, because I was a new dude. I was different because, you know, in, in DC, the swag is completely different than Pennsylvania. So we, we say, we, we speak differently. So I, for example, a soda, a soda in Pennsylvania is called a pop. So I would say stuff and the kids had no clue what I was talking about. I would get in trouble in school or whatever. And, you know, he'll come home <clears throat> and ask me, say, you know, so what, what happened in school? And I'll say, well, Johnny did X, Y, and Z. No, no. What'd you do? No, Johnny did. No, I didn't ask what Johnny did. I asked what you do. Well, I punched Johnny in the face. All right. Now we understood, Stan, that you did something. Now we can talk about everything else. Now, why did you punch him in the face? Because X, Y, and Z. You know, and then we go through it. But he wanted me to realize first that your actions um, affects you. And whatever you do, you um, you can't be mad at that. So, you know, I've done things in my life and one of my defense mecha mechanisms to point the blame is because I, I had to figure out where was my downfall in that. So if I could have avoided my downfall, then now I can figure out the situation. Um, so those were like the, the two biggest things. And then back to what you were talking about, um, the work ethic within the station and whatnot. Like if football played that huge role because, you know, your first year playing on the team, you got to prove your worth. You know, you, you become a freshman in high school, you got to prove your worth again. You become a freshman in, in college, you got to prove your worth again. You become a rookie playing professional ball, you got to prove your worth again. What I understood in just like you just talked about the team and in the whole is that this is my role in the team. So if I don't play my role within the team, then the team is going to be let down. And things just as simple as um, coffee in the morning, dishes being out the dishwasher. You know, my role was to make sure that when, when you got up or when everybody else got up, they got coffee. If my role wasn't played, then now we get a call, we get whatever the case may be. Now somebody who had just woke up who really enjoyed getting coffee is like, dang, I couldn't get my coffee. Now their day could be start off, whatever. I don't know, but I'm just, you know, I'm just giving a, a scenario. Um, or the dishes, we get that late call and now we're gone. And then, you know, now it's 8.30, we get back and I'm ready to go. And then I forget. And now B-Shift got to take the dishes out. So now I made more work for them. You know, um, you know, just simple things like that. Uh, but that was my, that's my, that was my role as a rookie. And those were things that I, things like that are things that I really hope that I don't ever forget, you know, to ever forget that I was a rookie before, you know, I, I needed to, those are things I need to do, which is why a, a big reason why I love 81. I would say maybe like, 
my first it was definitely within the first month. Adam Garcia, who's a squad four firefighter now, was like mopping. And I was, you know, I was hustling, getting my stuff done. And I went and grabbed the mop from him. And he just, he said, every, over here, everybody pulling their own weight. And then you look over, is, you know, lieutenants are getting, are, are sweeping, um, you know, firefighters and mopping people. Everybody's, you know, working together, meaning that everybody does a, a chore, even though, you know, it's my job to initiate and keep the bulk of this stuff going. I, that's, that was like, that was one of the things that really, even though it was small, but to me, small things in life is the things that, that stick out. The big stuff, I can see that, you know, the big stuff that's supposed, those things are supposed to happen, but it's the small things in life that, that really, um, that, that really affects me and rookies come in now. And I'm I'm always helping them with dishes and whatever. They're like, oh, thank you. I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> this is what you're supposed to do. It's not a, you know, you're not supposed to do it all yourself. But uh, that's just me going on my tangent about how, how much I do enjoy the station because of the simple things like that. You know, there's a lot of other things because it's, it's extremely fun there. And we have so much knowledge you know so much knowledge um they're they're always coaching you up or training or showing you how to do something better or or just showing you how to do something in general you know from that the the times that i saw you and and the things doing the things around the station again it like that was my role you know and my role is growing now <clears throat> differently because now i'm in medic school so now or i'm done with medic school and checked off of that so now i'm gonna be you know a role is gonna be a little different on scene where now patient care is a little bit more important rather than me listening to the chief complaint and hooking the patient up now my role is gonna change to more directing and, and giving differential diagnosis and you know getting to the hospital and making sure that you know, we're the citizens are well taken care of when we when we get on scene the work it will never leave me like that's that's just what I do. Like I'm a worker, which uh, which I absolutely love doing. You know, um, just a, a story about that. And if I give them cool with it, you're good with it, Chief. So oh, oh okay yeah. So we're at Children's Safety Village, and uh, which which doing orientation is like besides brick day, which is that, that's legit. It's a it's a full day of hose line management. You're getting all of them. You're getting the front jump. You're getting, you know, both cross lays. You're getting the, um, you know, you're getting the, the green line from the back. You bring out the mercury monitor. Like you, you that day you're working. So uh, I ended up going first and finishing everything, finishing my my stuff first, just because I wanted to get it done, not because I worked harder than anybody. But after it was over, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm just sitting here under the tent, kind of chilling. So me and another guy, Shabazz, we was like, oh, let's let's get some work in. So you stretch all of the hoses all the way out, and you hit a target. So, you know, we got our front jump line is 150 feet. Uh, one of the cross lays was 150, and another one was 200, and then we had 150 on our um, our back. They would finish, and when they finished, we would just drag all the hose back in. And we would drag it in, line it up for the people, and we just kept, you know, me and him just kept doing it. And we literally was doing it just like to to work out kind of, but he was a, he was a line leader. I was a class leader and, or he was a squad leader. I was a class leader. And uh, Dan Bernard, one of the guys, the squad 
one, I think, eight shift. Like, really, truly respect that guy. One, one of the guys, like, like I, I really, I really respect him. He was like, hey man, you guys should be dictating, not, not, not dictating, but um, what's the word? Uh, directing. Like, directing, yeah, directing rather than working. And we was like, it's all good, man. Like we just, we work. It ain't no big deal. And um, so we kept doing it, and then he literally made us like stop and go get other people to do it only i think because like who wants to drag 150 for the charge holes back nobody really really wants to do that so i think he was more so saying get other people to, to help do this rather than you just doing it but like i said we just like working is was never an issue um doing work was never never an issue and even you know we talked about age before being 40 you know, I take pride in us doing drills and the new guys, 22, 23, can't hang. And it's not even uh, a actual, it, it is a fire related drill, but it really comes into effort and heart. You know, are you, are you going to stop or you're not going to stop? So I take, I take pride in beating those guys. It was kind of like my thing at football where I was like, I can still play football as long as I can dunk. When I can't dunk anymore, that means I'm not explosive anymore. So football is now – I shouldn't be playing anymore. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because now I'm just, I'm just filling the slot for somebody. But, yeah, but that was, you know, that day. If I were to get to a point, like in break day, that I was like, oh, my God, I need a break. Uh, that pushes me more to continue to get better. Like I'm, I'm built for power and short bursts, not long distance running. And another time in orientation, uh, Lieutenant Afrifa had said, uh, he had Tomas Renez is is one of the guys. Like this dude can just run. He's like six foot, like 170 pounds. He just got long stride, and he can just he can just run. He so he always led our runs, and. Lieutenant Afriva said, hey, you know, we're not going to slow down for you because then that messes him up. We want everybody to get up to where he is. And I used to try, but like, I just, I just can't run like that. You know, I'm, you know, I was 250 pounds. Like, I, I wasn't built to run like that. And I mean, he's like a six and a half minute mile. And I used to try, but I just couldn't. But it used to frustrate me so much that I couldn't. So I just kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. Uh, never really caught up with him, you know, but, uh, but that, that's the type of work stuff that makes me want to just, it makes me want to get better if I can't do it, you know, or if I did, or if I wasn't successful at it. You're the guy I want forcing a door or breaching a wall. Yeah, man. I actually, I really like, that is something, um, that I've never done. Uh, C shift uh, when we both were probies, he was saying him and his lieutenant had to go through a center block wall with a you know, and they were breaching a wall with a uh, with a sledgehammer. And I was like, yo, that's something that I literally, I would love to do that. But I never, you know, I never had a chance to do that yet. Yeah. So, just I mean, you can just break stuff up, like no regard. Just, but yeah, I do, I do, I love the door. I love breaching doors too. So something that you said um it, it was actually when you were talking about your father you know him teaching you accountability and responsibility mm. uh one of the things that that you said really struck me i read a lot 
I read mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, leadership books, and it got to the point where I kept on reading the same themes, and I read something that attributed certain leadership traits and self leadership to Stoic philosophy. I decided to start reading up on Stoic philosophy. And then, you know, as I've researched it, I've found that a lot of professional teams bring in coaches or people to talk to the team Mm -hmm. about philosophy and mindset and that sort of thing. And and a lot of it is um, linked directly to Stoic philosophy. One of, one of the things that I found very interesting is uh, a stoic a stoic action one of the things that uh, that they recommend or you know one of these ancient stoic philosophers recommended was you know the beginning of each day you sit down and you write out uh, things that you want to keep in the front of your mind mm-hmm. um, you know the the mindset that you're going to uh, tackle your day with. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, you write down, okay, this is, this is where I, I achieved what I set out to do. This is where I failed to achieve what I set out to do. These are things that I can do better in the future. And it's, a, and it's a way of sort of balancing the ledger um, to kind of put the day behind you mm-hmm. and then the next morning you start fresh. And, uh, so that's one of the things that I started doing uh, a while back and I've written down a lot of stuff. I wrote down the four virtues of stoicism, wisdom, temperance, courage, and justice and wisdom is they define it as knowing what matters are within my control and and which are not. What that's referring to is the only thing that we really have control over is our own actions and how we respond to the actions and uh, influence of others. So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, life events that happen, you know, there's so many things that are out of our control. Mm -hmm if we approach events in that way and realize that, okay, this occurred, I had no control over those events. Yeah. This this played out the way it was going to play out. Now it's up to me to respond in a way that I can be proud of. And, and I've, you know, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons uh, failing at that. (laughs) um yeah me too one of the one of the things that i wrote and that's and this is uh january of this year um i wrote amor fati which is latin for the love of fate and i followed that with you will be better for this embrace it as the best thing that has happened to you Realize and embrace those things out of your control and know with all your heart 
that you are strong enough to endure, outlast, conquer, and come back stronger than ever before. Had this not happened, you would not be launched in this direction. You must visualize all the paths laid out ahead of you. Find the one that offers the greatest challenges. Charge the enemy with the knowledge you are unconquerable. You will suffer, but rise from the ashes stronger. And I wanted to share that with you because it was just, you know, how you told that story about your father and, and responsibility for your actions and, and you don't worry about what everybody else is doing. It's how you respond to those events mm -hmm. that really define who you are for the rest of the world. Um, nobody else defines who you are. It's, it's you. you know? right. And I just, you know, how you, how you carry yourself and the example that you set for even senior firefighters is, uh, it, it was really awesome to work with you, man. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate man. it. So, um, one thing <clears throat> that, that I'd like to talk to you just to, you know, maybe take a, a side road here for a second. Um, You've been on the department for a year, like running calls. Well, mm -hmm. you've been a year running, and a half. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, you've been running calls. You're at one of the busiest stations in the county. Um, I know you've floated around a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been exposed to a lot of stuff. Out of all the calls that you've run so far, can can you think of one that is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Well, we had those two people burn up the same week in a car. Well, both were in a car accidents and burned alive in the same week. Probably the one we did the recovery, <clears throat> the recovery on, because we were the ones that actually went in and took the remains. You know, we had to actually extricate them and take the remains out of the car. That one, that smell, like you'll never, I, I never smelled anything like that before. And, um, so you know we had on uh, you know we had on our um we had level b suits on so uh uh yeah that that smell that i had i'll never and you can literally see them trying to get out the car you know uh so that was that's probably one of them you know people people ask me you know hey you know what the worst call you had or whatever probably that one how do you situate that in in your mind um I don't, I really honestly don't think about it until a question like this happens. Um, but while I was doing it, it was a hundred percent like, this is my job. You know, this is what I have to do. And so because I had to do that, I couldn't, maybe I couldn't process, you know, actually what just happened to this person, somebody's, you know, maybe dad, brother, son, uncle, cousin, um, but it was my it was my job you know and i and that's one thing that i i've understood so far that like this is the job and there's some things you'll see that's not going to be so good there's going to be some things that you're going to see that's going to be awesome but it was just like you said like i can't like i it was nothing else that i could do to make that situation a better situation so it's easy it's easier not easy 
but it's easier for me to recognize that and be like, I, like it's nothing else I can do. So, you know, let's just do the job and get it done. And, um, you know, do what the, the medical examiner needed us to do and, you know, get back to the station, shower up and <laughs> go run some more calls. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's not a lot. To, with for me, there's not a lot that freaks me out, but smells, smells, <laughs> smells that get me. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> smells that get me. Working at Station 81, working with all the special ops guys. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Who would you say has had the most influence on you? Man, that you know what? That's it, it's levels to that question. Um. And I'll give the, the, the first level is um is Lieutenant Sloan, Lucas Sloan. I mean, as a person, that's a guy that you want to be like. Like, I've known him for a year and a half, and I, I rarely I, – I've gotten sad twice in my life when another man, like, left my life. Uh, the first one was uh, Coach Wally Yake at Maryland, who, like, I – again – you know, I didn't know anything about football or whatever. I re- really didn't know anything about football. I just knew that's the football, go tackle it. Football's coming to me, catch it. <laughs> like, you know, he taught me the game of football. And then he, we got a new uh, linebackers coach and he moved the outside linebackers. And it hurt for him not to be my coach anymore. Uh, and the second time was with Lieutenant Sloan when he just, um, he just transferred and, uh, and now we got we got Michael Fernandez, Lieutenant uh, Michael Fernandez, who is a stand-up, awesome, you know, squad guy. Well, well, not even squad. He's special operations. He's every, he does it all. Um, but like that, uh, it kind of affected me, you know, because he was somebody that I can go to and ask him about my personal life. What do you What do you think about this? And I don't ask people questions. You know, I'm not big in saying, hey, especially about my life, you know, but I trust his that his judgment and his words would um would uh he would give me the correct advice on things. You know, and, and that was the biggest thing that I knew that going to ask him, understand that you're gonna get an honest answer back. So if if you're not ready for the honest answer, don't go ask him. Um, so those are the types of things from that, or even from the simple fact of LT, who should I call for this situation? You know, like, I know that I can call him and he's going to respond back to me. Um, so definitely that was, that was number one on the list. Our engineer, Sandy Santos, um, another worker, you know, um, you know, people know history and whatever, but, uh, but a guy to come in and work like that. You know, six thirty. He's there. You know, he he might not pull the engine out because the the other engineer doesn't have it out yet. But he's checking out everything else. Seven thirty. He's ready to go. He taught me uh, a phrase that we use. It's called play defense. And what that means is, if we jump in the call at seven fifteen and we need the saws or we need the power unit or we need whatever, we know that it's ready to go. Yeah. You know, we know that, uh, you know, we went on call with, with one particular unit and, and their power unit didn't start up. 
and he pulled it like three times and I was like, yo, go get ours. I know ours is, is going to work on the first pull because I know I, I do it. I work it out every day. You know, I pull it every day and check it out every day. He taught me that aspect of the job of this is how you're supposed to do your job. And, and I float the other stations and I've, I've floated the other stations and people sometimes look at me a little different and I'm like, this is just what we do. Like, this is, this is it. Like, I don't, I don't know a different way. If I don't, if I don't check something out, it bothers me that I didn't do it because I'm thinking, what if it don't work? And I saw Adam actually, you know, get assigned to the squad. So, um, that's why I say it's kind of levels of, 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 of where we are. Um, and I saw him get assigned. So I saw the work he put in to get there and now he's there and how on scene now he is. We got to run a few calls with squad four. So, and then you still got a, a Lieutenant now, you know, I haven't worked with him a lot, but I've worked with him a lot when he was on squad four, when I was, when I was at 81 all the time, not floating, uh, and just the knowledge that he has uh, of the job, you know, and like, I can't even leave out Jose, you know, the two things, like uh, those guys are the whole station. Like I would never leave 81. I don't, I don't think I would leave 81 because like, it's just a, like, we just got a, a good solid crew there. Yeah. Um, and then you talk about levels, um, going to a new level, our medic, Dan Cohen, like nothing bothers that dude. You know, it's 3 a.m. He looked at MDC. MDC says whatever it says. I think we can handle this engine. Y'all go ahead and go back to sleep. Or we get there. Oh, no, y'all go ahead and cancel it. You know, he's leaving east. He, you know, and somebody's running the first call in his first dude. He's challenging it. Like, nobody's running a call in his first dude. He runs his own calls, you know. Um, so all that's why I say it's, it's a lot of levels to – how um i've been affected by guys there and so you just take a little bit from everybody uh take a little bit from everybody and try to mold my career to how i want it to be by taking it you know whether it be the good things or bad things whatever it is um so i hope that i'm gonna yeah, give man. you too much information yeah no no that's great okay. um, i'm i'm guessing that you probably have aspirations to uh, go through some of the special ops classes, maybe get. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep I keep saying that uh, that when I get to work, I'm gonna go do X, Y, and Z. But you know, 81, you don't make plans. You just do stuff because if you make plans, the the calls are gonna say something completely different. <laughs> You'll never get to do it. So yeah, I know that um, uh, the guy that was a probationary guy right before me. He had just finished his ropes. And so I, I think I'm a VMR is coming up. I need to, so when I go to work tomorrow, I am going to check. Um, Cause I, I just, I need to talk to, um, just talk to squad and just ask him kind of which direction is the best way to go with classes and the rest of that. Those are things, knowledge that I just don't have yet. You know, I literally have been consumed with medical <laughs> for the last year. And so I'm, just now starting to get back in that flow. I just interviewed Garrett Winkowski, who oh, okay. has, has spent a bulk of his career in special ops. And I asked him to give some advice to, you know, aspiring firefighters 
um, what, you know, what he, what, what advice he would give. And he, the advice that he gave was first you take VMR and the next class you take is ropes. Whether you're going to be on a truck company or uh, a squad, those two classes translate into so many usable skills at, you know, just from a firefighter's position, having extensive knowledge on how, you know, how to extricate somebody from a vehicle or, mm. you know, some kind of machinery accents, something like that. And if you have that knowledge, uh, you're the go-to guy. Right. So, um, and then, and those are two of the more inexpensive classes. So, you know, once you kind of establish, establish yourself as, you know, this is the path you're going to take, right. uh, being assigned to a special ops station, you'd be able to, um, you know, get, get approved for uh, the county to send you pay for those classes. Got you. You know, the, the more expensive classes are the, the hazmat tech and the structural collapse. Those are, Got you. so I would hold off. I can, on those. Yeah, I guess I can see all those. I know the, I do know the, the like the first of the year I was talking to, uh, I think it was Sean King who's telling me that, that Valencia usually runs the whole list of classes usually around the first of the year. So, but yeah, so I'm looking into it. I just don't know which, which way besides, like I said, besides the VMR that it's next month. So. Man, Sean King is a, man, he's a beast. <laughs> and, and, and what, what a cool guy, man. Like, he is a good dude. He is so knowledgeable and so willing to help people mm. get better. Uh, but he, he's definitely no nonsense. One thing, uh, one thing I could recommend to you, um, and actually I, I could lend this to you, is okay. uh, The Rescue Company by Ray Downey. Okay. Um, he is, so this guy's son is the Chief of Special Operations for FDNY right now. Ray, oh, wow. Ray Downey. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah, this guy is a legend. Yeah, this guy is a legend. Mm-hmm. So, and that, you know, the rescue company in, uh, you know, in a lot of departments, it's a heavy rescue that does all the technical rescue stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's, sure. that's what this book is about. Yeah, that's why I figured it, it I looked at it. On that note, on my website, uh, hollenbachleadership.com, if you go to the learning materials page, mm-hmm. I have some, uh, embedded links that you can click on and download uh different pieces of learning material and one of the one of the documents on there is the uh forcible entry sop for fdny gotcha it's a it's a good document man and it Mm. spells it out really good and i have a uh, a reading list on there as well you know i know you've got a lot ahead of you probably don't have a whole lot of time to (laughs) get to reading but when uh, when you start looking for something to read, you know, take a look at that list. I will. I will. And and then if you have any recommendations for that list, please let me know because 
I, I want to update the list regularly with, okay. with any recommendations. We, I mean, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything about you or anything about leadership that we haven't touched on that you you believe would be important for you know maybe some up and coming uh, firefighters or even just uh, even fire officers that um, are you know leadership doesn't come naturally to everybody right, you know? right. and and there are uh, there are steps that people can take to really develop their abilities as a leader and you you said you said a, a mouthful when you said that, <clears throat> that leadership doesn't come naturally to everybody it doesn't but everybody has the opportunity to control their own actions so you don't have to and, and i know every a lot of references goes back to football we had a guy eric james uh who's like the third string tight end real solid dude never said anything, never talked. He was, but he just carried himself a certain way. And I can remember maybe twice in four years in college that he ever said, hey, fellas, let's go. But when he said that, everybody went on 10 because they knew that he, he doesn't talk. So for him to have to say something, like stuff had really gotten, you know, had went right or went left. Uh, so that to go back to that is that like to, when you lead, you don't have to say anything. You can just do the, the most powerful thing you can get is somebody who just continually do, you know, uh, it, I know tons of leaders who just tons of captains that I've had, um, in football who just talked all day, all day, just talk like, why don't you shut up? Just go out and go make a play, man. You know, uh, and that's literally how I was, you know. I mean, I was a captain for I don't know, eight years or so. And um, my 90% of the time, my fourth quarter speech was, hey, fellas, I'm going to make a play. Y'all coming with me. That's it. <laughs> like, that's it. And let's go make, just, just go do it. Um, you know, whatever it is you have your aspirations of doing, you can lead by an example. That that phrase is so overutilized and underdone. Yeah, I would agree. And, with and that. just by just by just just do it. You know, you look in the, the fire service for an example, uh think about the things that firefighters are supposed to do and the lieutenants in your station is doing it too. You know, like that makes the firefighter be like, dang, man, LT's even doing that. Like, I need to step my game up. You know, I mean, whatever, whatever the case may be with it. Um, and and just lead by that, just lead by that lifestyle. Your lifestyle will, will speak tons and people will follow people like that. People will do. So now when that person does say something, it the the words mean more at that than the ones that just always you know, rah, rah. I was, ne and I was never that guy. I was never, you know, like I know when I messed up, yeah. you know? Uh, so yelling at me does nothing. Like I, I, I literally look right through you when you yell at me. Now, if you talk to me and tell me what I did and how it affected something, 
then now you got me because now Jay Gruden was the best at that with me. He just knew me. He was, he is a yeller, but he knew me and he knew that all he had to say was, Hey Marlon, we needed that. And he knew that hurt more than anything. And, you know, more than anything, all you had to do was say, cause when you yell, it does nothing. And that's just, that's anybody in general. So. So something you yeah. just said ties directly to effective leadership is Jay Gruden knew you. Mm-hmm. And I firmly believe that as a leader, you have a responsibility to know your people, to yeah. know, to know what motivates them, to know how they measure success for themselves. Right. And your job is to help them achieve that success. That being said, you know, we're, we're talking about all this stuff, you know, actions and, um, and, and I want to share a story with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I told you that I wrote a book. Um, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I haven't published it yet, but um, one of the things that I talk about in there, one of the things that I address is, uh, well, not one of the things, I address multiple failures that I've had in my life. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, being something that, uh, that occurred last year. And I'm not going to get into the details, but I, I know that my reputation as a battalion chief and as a leader in the, in the department was, was a very good reputation. And I would mentor people and set expectations and talk about how you know, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. And my actions were not consistent with the message that I was relaying through my words. And that led to some personal and professional failures that um, it's very humbling. You know, I let a lot of people down, myself, in particular, but you know, family, close friends, people on the department that you know that held me in high regard, and I and I can tell you that that experience has opened my eyes to to something that I I just wasn't aware of before. There was there was a decision point. There were there was a point where. I knew I had one of two directions to go and I chose this direction and, and I knew better, but it felt good. You know, Mm -hmm. in the moment it felt good. There's that part in everybody where it's real easy to make a decision that is going to give you immediate gratification. No doubt. And, and it's in that moment that, there has to be that tactical pause where you say, okay, you know, maybe nobody will ever find out about this, but if they do, is it something that I can be proud of? Which is hard in a lot of cases, which is hard. You know, in, in my book, I share that and I share a lot of the lessons that I, that I've learned because all of those failures, what, I, what I've come to find is there is an opportunity. 
there's an opportunity to learn from it and there's an opportunity mm -hmm. to share that lesson with other people. So they, they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Right, and, right. and if I can add value, if I can add value to one person because I, I went through that, then, you know, maybe, maybe the, the hardship or, you know, the negative experience that came from my actions, mm -hmm. whatever discomfort I felt, it wasn't for nothing. For sure. So, and, and on that note, I was just wondering if there's anything that comes to your mind, uh, uh, a lesson that you've learned from, you know, one of your mistakes, uh, something humbling that, you know, serves as an example to other people that, you know, our mistakes don't define us. It's, it's right, the actions, right. it's the actions that we take to correct those mistakes that define us. Sometimes it takes people, you know, their entire life to learn that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some people don't learn that lesson and they suffer internally for a long time because right. of regrets and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, if you're comfortable sharing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it was, it was literally the changing point in my life, my junior year in college, the end of my junior year. So, uh, end of my junior year, I was like, you know, going into it preseason, you know, all ACC had just came off, you know, uh, second team, all ACC was, you know, was, was doing well. My dad used to tell me stuff all the time. You know, he used to tell me about, perception so i was at that time a typical you know inner city kid you know do rag pants hanging halfway around my butt you know just just that whole stereotypical um inner city kid uh and he used to tell me that all the time and i used i literally used to tell him man like don't worry about me you know, don't worry about what I'm doing. I'm thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a starter on a, a Division One football team. You know, leading the team, leading the defense. You know, making plays. I'm on TV every set. So I felt like literally I was invincible during that time. You know, and I used to do a lot of stuff that I wasn't, you know, very proud about. Uh, but one in particular, I got in trouble and ended up getting, you know, getting arrested, which actually almost stopped me from getting the job um, here. And and uh, and I got arrested for some assault and some other things, but it was like every time somebody would uh would Google me or whatever, it was like the first two or three lines. It's way way back in in Google now, but um, and that's what people really looked at me like that, you know, uh, as you know, kind of a bully, a you know, thug, quote unquote. And I it took a it took a while to get over it. And I would say probably 2006, maybe seven, something somewhere around there. Like I, I came to myself and it took me to like everybody that I can think of that I offended, that I um, wronged in some particular way. Like I was calling people or, you know, and, uh, and telling them, you know, I'm sorry. I found out a lot of stuff about myself through them that I didn't even know that's how I was. And and what I found out is that the people that I was around 
as in like my teammates, like I was respected me as not from the outside stuff that I did from everything that I did within the team and how much I brought team into play. So that being said, you know, um, that getting arrested and, and, and like being on the other side of the bars was like, I'm not ever coming here ever again. This is, this is not, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not how my parents, you know, raised me to be. This is not what I know, but, um, the learning experience I had from that, um, that combined it with moving to Lake Mary. So growing up out of Cooper, and you talked about before was a more of a, um, it was more separate, you know, so I grew up around all black people. My high school was all black. My middle school was all black. We had, uh, I think, I don't think my high school had had a, any diversity since like the seventies. Uh, my principal was black. My vice principal was black. We had like six, you know, white teachers. Our Spanish teacher was like Creole. <laughs> so, um, so we like, I didn't, I just didn't know, like, I didn't know it was more than the small bubble that I lived in. And so when I moved to Lake Mary, I met a guy, Kyle Seivarth, was, I was talking to the parents at, at while we were out there, I was coaching the kids and in the practice, talking to the parents and Kyle had walked past me and he walked behind me and just kind of gently just like pulled my shorts up. And when he did it, it, it didn't say, remember I talked about the little things, right? Like that stuck with me. And that moment, I was like, that's the perception my dad was talking about. That, like I said, so getting in trouble, I learned the lesson that, hey, listen, I shouldn't be doing this stuff. You know, I, I now, again, was I mad at anybody else because of it? No, because like, I'm the one that put myself in this situation. And then, uh, then when I got to, Lake Mary, I realized that there's people looking at you. And like, I don't want to give a bad uh, impression. Like I, ne I never even went out in Lake Mary because I knew that I coached the kids and I didn't want the parents to see me out, like, you know, at a, at a bar or whatever the case may be, just for that simple fact, because I knew there was a perception that I had. And, and the same stuff that I, I talk about here with leading is the same things. I teach the kids. Kid comes up to practice. Mom's hold, holding his helmet and shoulder pads. Mom, put his helmet and shoulder pads down. Those are your helmet and shoulder pads. And you pick them up and you carry them. Well, I got my water bottle. I got, well, hey, who told you to bring all that stuff? Get a bag, put it in there. And, you know, like that's yours. You know, just the, the simple things. I think that the young athletes, you know, should know. You know, when we were training, training started at three o'clock. And they came in at 302, 50 burpees, man. Well, because, nah, man, like, then come at four. Come at the four o'clock group. Don't be late. Don't be late. And it's no excuse for you being late. Now, okay, you had to go and talk to a teacher. You That was held. Okay, I, I got that. But, but you got out on time and you didn't have anything. Like, you were just slow getting here. Oh, it's only 302. Yeah, it's only 302 when you're supposed to be here at three o'clock. But anyway, those are the, those are the things that help me change to who I am. And I go now back around some of my friends uh, or people that I've seen from before, and they just talk about, man, like, dude, like you're not even the same person. I was like, well, I mean, 
first of all, like, you know, I'm married with kids now. So, like, you know, I, I definitely couldn't be that way. But it's that it's just that example of being able to, again, just kind of give an example to people. And am I perfect? I, I still, you know, on a daily basis, stuff happening. I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't have said that. Or ah, I probably shouldn't have did that. But I understand, you know, I shouldn't. And I just try to just, just, just try to be better every day. And that life in general, I try to keep in that life, <laughs> you know, back then. Which is which I suppressed that whole demon of of anger, so uh, and that's all it was. It was just being it was just being angry, you know. Uh, you couldn't even find pictures of me smiling until I was probably like, well, when I first got my first big contract playing football, probably was like two thousand six. The the picture that you take before the season. I smiled in that picture. Like I never smiled. Like I had said nothing to smile about. Like it was, you know, everything was serious for me. But yeah, so you know that getting in trouble and getting arrested in college for that, you know, that bar fight, which I could have a hundred percent, hundred percent avoided. And I don't know what my life would have been, you know. But I look at it on the other side that if I would not have. And I wouldn't have the two beautiful daughters I have, wife I have now. I, I would have never met them. So the the path you said it earlier, which your your quote that you I mean your your uh, what you wrote down back in January, that your path that you go was just gonna make you better, you know. And and you but you got to learn from those those paths. Every day I learn from something that I didn't do the right way. So, hope that answers your question. Or yeah, man, too far. No, that was that was awesome. I, dude, I I really really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Oh yeah, not a problem. And, I mean, you're one of the guys I really respect, Chief. You know, you uh, you know, you're there. You're always there for us. You know, you always stand up. You know, from the first day. You know, we talked about that first day. I mean, we we tried to talk what four or five times. But those those tones just wouldn't stop. <laughs> so, um, and you know, you you set me off on the right foot, you know, from from being at eighty one and, and and what what to expect and whatnot. Um, oh man, speaking of right foot, you asked earlier about um, people. This wasn't at at eighty one though. It was Tim Easter, Lieutenant Easter, was the first lieutenant I had. He was the one who really, really like set the ball in motion you know every rookie comes in and have that first speech hey what should i do well you know what do you expect from me and his words were i don't expect anything because you don't know anything but i do expect you to do your job so he was like you should or you you should um which what you need to know you should know and when he said and when it's too many calls and you want to complain quit like that was our first talk <laughs> you know you're like, dude, like you're here to run calls. So uh that that hands down prepared me for eighty one because we run calls. But uh but yeah, just just some of the things he you know, Lieutenant Easter had said to me. Um and and setting that ball that ball rolling. He was uh he was a integral part of keeping me 
you know, grounded and keeping keeping me um, focused on on the job at hand. So, you know, I ran some other guys who didn't have that type of leadership as their first lieutenant. That's good. Yeah, I, I really I worked with uh, Tim Easter when I was a firefighter. Oh wow! Yeah, he huh. was uh, he was the lieutenant at fifty eight way back when, and um, I w- I was assigned to fifty one. I was assigned to 51 and uh, you know, every once in a while I'd get floated over there to 58 and mm-hmm. work for him. And yeah, that's a, that's a cool dude. Yeah. He was, you know, I had him when he was on his way out. So, you know, he was trying to impart jewels into people and, you know, just to make the department better, you know, on his way out. So. Like I said, I really appreciate you taking the time to. Yeah. Thank you. This was a great conversation, man. I, mm-hmm. you know, I got to learn a little bit more about you and, and, and I wish you all the best moving forward. Like I, I mean, I, I have no doubts that you're going to be a superstar. I mean, you're just, I hope so. You're, you're a badass man. And, and you are an example for a lot of the younger guys. Um, So, you know, even though you're, you're one of the more junior people, Mm-hmm. Uh, you stand out and, uh, you know, I would embrace that, man. You know? Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, you have a good uh, rest. Have a good uh, weekend. And uh, Yes, sir. You I'll, too. I'll talk to you soon. All right, G. Have a good one. Thanks again. You too, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hallenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.